Chapter six of a sportsman's sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. A sportsman's sketches by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. The peasant proprietor of Sanikov. Picture to yourselves, gentle readers, a stout tall man of seventy, with a face reminding one somewhat of the face of Krylov, clear and intelligent eyes under overhanging brows, dignified in bearing, slow in speech and deliberate in movement. There you have Afsyanikov. He wore an ample blue overcoat with long sleeves, buttoned all the way up, a lilac silk handkerchief round his neck, brightly polished boots with tassels, and altogether resembled in appearance a well-to-do merchant. His hands were handsome, soft, and white. He often fumbled with the buttons of his coat as he talked. With his dignity and his composure, his good sense and his indolence, his uprightness and his obstinacy, Afsenikov reminded me of the Russian boyars of the times before Peter the Great. The national holiday dress would have suited him well, he was one of the last men left of the old time. All his neighbors had a great respect for him and considered it an honor to be acquainted with him. His fellow peasant proprietors almost worshipped him and took off their heads to him from a distance. They were proud of him. Generally speaking, in these days it is difficult to tell a peasant proprietor from a peasant. His husbandry is almost worse than the peasant's. His calves are wretchedly small, his horses are only half alive, his harness is made of rope. Afsanikov was an exception to the general rule, though he did not pass for a wealthy man. He lived alone with his wife in a clean and comfortable little house, kept a few servants, whom he dressed in the Russian style and called his workmen. They were employed also in ploughing his land. He did not attempt to pass for a nobleman, did not affect to be a landowner, never, as they say, forgot himself. He did not take a seat at the first invitation to do so, and he never failed to rise from his seat on the entrance of a new guest, but with such dignity, with such stately courtesy, that the guest involuntarily made him a more differential bow. Afsenikov adhered to the antique usages, not from superstition, he was naturally rather independent in mind, but from habit. He did not, for instance, like carriages with springs, because he did not find them comfortable, and preferred to drive in a racing droshky, or in a pretty little trap with leather cushions, and he always drove his good bay himself. He kept none but bay horses. His coachman, a young rosy-cheeked fellow, his hair cut round like a basin, in a dark blue coat with a strap round the waist, sat respectfully beside him. Afsanikov always had a nap after dinner and visited the bathhouse on Saturdays. He read none but religious books and used gravely to fix his round silver spectacles on his nose when he did so. He got up and went to bed early. He shaved his beard, however, and wore his hair in the German style. He always received visitors cordially and affably, but he did not bow down to the ground nor fuss over them and press them to partake of every kind of dried and salted delicacy. Wife, he would say deliberately, not getting up from his seat but only turning his head a little in her direction, bring the gentleman a little of something to eat. He regarded it as a sin to sell wheat. It was the gift of God. In the year 40, at the time of the general famine and terrible scarcity, he shared all his store with the surrounding landowners and peasants. The following year they gratefully repaid their debt to him in kind. The neighbors often had recourse to Afsenikov as arbitrator and mediator between them, and they almost always acquiesced in his decision and listened to his advice. Thanks to his intervention, many had conclusively settled their boundaries. But after two or three tussles with lady landowners, he announced that he declined all mediation between persons of the feminine gender. He could not bear the flurry and excitement, the chatter of women and the fuss. 
once his house had somehow got on fire a workman ran to him in headlong haste shrieking fire fire well what are you screaming about said Avsenikov tranquilly give me my cap and my stick he liked to break in his horses himself once a spirited horse he was training bolted with him down a hillside and over a precipice come there there you young colt you'll kill yourself said Avsenikov soothingly to him and an instant later he flew over the precipice together with the racing droshky the boy who was sitting behind and the horse fortunately the bottom of the ravine was covered with heaps of sand no one was injured only the horse sprained a leg well you see continued Avsenikov in a calm voice as he got up from the ground i told you so he had found a wife to match him Tatiana Ilyinishna Avsenikov was a tall woman, dignified and taciturn, always dressed in a cinnamon-colored silk dress. She had a cold air, though none complained of her severity, but, on the contrary, many poor creatures called her their little mother and benefactress. Her regular features, her large dark eyes, and her delicately cut lips bore witness even now to her once-celebrated beauty. Avsenikov had no children. I made his acquaintance, as the reader is already aware, at Radilov's, and two days later I went to see him. I found him at home. He was reading the lives of the saints. A grey cat was purring on his shoulder. He received me, according to his habit, with stately cordiality. We fell into conversation. But tell me the truth, Luka Petrovich, I said to him, among other things. Weren't things better of old, in your time? In some ways, certainly, things were better, I should say, replied Avsenikov. We lived more easily. There was a greater abundance of everything. All the same things are better now, and they will be better still for your children, please God. I had expected you, Luka Petrovich, to praise the old times. No, I have no special reason to praise old times. Here, for instance, though you are a landowner now, and just as much a landowner as your grandfather was, you have not the same power, and, indeed, you are not yourself the same kind of man. Even now some noblemen oppress us, but, of course, it is impossible to help that altogether. Where there are mills grinding, there will be flour. No, I don't see now what I have experienced myself in my youth. Uh, what, for instance? well for instance i will tell you about your grandfather he was an overbearing man he oppressed us poorer folks you know perhaps indeed you surely know your own estates that bit of land that runs from chipligan to malinina you have it on the roads now oh, well you know it is ours it is all ours your grandfather took it away from us he rode by on his horse pointed to it with his hand and said it's my property and took possession of it my father god rest his soul was a just man he was a hot-tempered man too he would not put up with it indeed who does like to lose his property and he laid a petition before the court but he was alone the others did not appear they were afraid so they reported to your grandfather that Pyotr Avsenikov is making a complaint against you that you were pleased to take away his land. Your grandfather at once sent his huntsman Bausch with a detachment of men. Well, they seized my father and carried him to your estate. I was a little boy at the time. I ran after him barefoot. What happened? They brought him to your house and flogged him right under your windows and your grandfather stands on the balcony and looks on and your grandmother sits at the window and looks on too my father cries out gracious lady maria vasilievna intercede for me have mercy on me but her only answer was to keep getting up to have a look at him so they exacted a promise from my father to give up the land and bade him be thankful they let him go alive so it has remained with you go and ask your peasants what do they call the land indeed 
it's called the cudgel land because it was gained by the cudgel so you see from that we poor folks can't bewail the old order very much i did not know what answer to make of senikov and i had not the courage to look him in the face we had another neighbor who settled among us in those days a komov stepan niktopolyanich he used to worry my father out of his life when it wasn't one thing it was another he was a drunken fellow and fond of treating others and when he was drunk he would say in french c'est bon and take away the holy images he would go to all the neighbors to ask them to come to him his horses stood always in readiness and if you wouldn't go he would come after you himself at once and he was such a strange fellow in his sober times he was not a liar but when he was drunk he would begin to relate how he had three houses in petersburg one red with one chimney another yellow with two chimneys and a third blue with no chimneys and three sons though he had never even been married one in the infantry another in the cavalry and the third was his own master and he would say that in each house lived one of his sons that admirals visited the eldest the generals the second and the third only englishmen then he would get up and say to the health of my eldest son he is the most dutiful and he would begin to weep woe to anyone who refused to drink the toast i will shoot him he would say and i won't let him be buried then he would jump up and scream dance god's people for your pleasure and my diversion well then you must dance if you had to die for it you must dance he thoroughly worried his surf girls to death sometimes all night long till morning they would be singing in chorus and the one who made the most noise would have a prize if they began to be tired he would lay his head down in his hands and begins moaning ah poor forsaken orphan that i am they abandon me poor little dove and the stable boys would wake the girls up at once he took a liking to my father what was he to do he almost drove my father into his grave and would actually have driven him into it but thank heaven he died himself in one of his drunken fits he fell off the pigeon-house there that's what our sweet little neighbors were like how the times have changed i observed yes yes avsenikov assented and there is this to be said in the old days the nobility lived more sumptuously i'm not speaking of the real grandees now i used to see them in moscow they say such people are scarce nowadays have you been in moscow i used to stay there long very long ago i am now in my seventy-third year and i went to moscow when i was sixteen avsenikov sighed whom did you see there i saw a great many grandees and everyone saw them they kept open house for the wonder and admiration of all only no one came up to count alexey grigorievich arlov chesmensky i often saw alexey grigorievich my uncle was a steward in his service the count was pleased to live in shabalovka near the kaluga gate he was a grand gentleman such stateliness such gracious condescension you can't imagine and it's impossible to describe it his figure alone was worth something and his strength and the look in his eyes till you knew him you did not dare come near him you were afraid overawed indeed but directly you came near him he was like sunshine warming you up and making you quite cheerful he allowed every man access to him in person and he was devoted to every kind of sport he drove himself in races and outstripped everyone 
and he would never get in front at the start so as not to offend his adversary he would not cut it short but would pass him at the finish and he was so pleasant he would soothe his adversary praising his horse he kept tumbler pigeons of a first-rate kind he would come out into the court sit down in an armchair and order them to let loose the pigeons and his men would stand all round on the roofs with guns to keep off the hawks a large silver basin of water used to be placed at the count's feet and he looked at the pigeons reflected in the water beggars and poor people were fed in hundreds at his expense and what a lot of money he used to give away when he got angry it was like a clap of thunder everyone was in a great fright but there was nothing to weep over look round a minute after and he was all smiles again when he gave a banquet he made all moscow drunk and see what a clever man he was you know he beat the turk he was fond of wrestling too strong men used to come from tula from Kharkov, from tambov and from everywhere to him if he threw any one he would pay him a reward but if any one threw him he perfectly loaded him with presents and kissed him on the lips and once during my stay at moscow he arranged a hunting party such as had never been in russia before he sent invitations to all the sportsmen in the whole empire and fixed a day for it and gave them three months notice they brought with them dogs and grooms well it was an army of people a regular army first they had a banquet in the usual way and then they set off into the open country the people flocked there in thousands and what do you think your father's dog outran them all wasn't that milovidka i inquired milovidka milovidka so the count began to ask him give me your dog says he take what you like for her no count he said i am not a tradesman i don't sell anything for filthy lucre for your sake i am ready to part with my wife even but not with milovidka i would give myself into bondage first and alexey grigorievich praised him for it i like you for it he said your grandfather took her back in the coach with him and when milovidka died he buried her in the garden with music at the burial yes a funeral for a dog and put a stone with an inscription on it over the dog then alexey grigorievich did not oppress anyone i observed yes it is always like that those who can only just keep themselves afloat are the ones to drag others under and what sort of man was this bausch i asked after a short silence why how comes it you have heard about milovitka and not about bausch he was your grandfather's chief's huntsman and whipperin your grandfather was as fond of him as of milovitka he was a desperate fellow and whatever order your grandfather gave him he would carry it out in a minute he'd have run onto a sword at his bidding and when he hallooed it was something like a tally-ho in the forest and then he would suddenly turn nasty get off his horse and lie down on the ground and directly the dogs ceased to hear his voice it was all over they would give up the hardest scent and wouldn't go on for anything ay ay your grandfather did get angry damn me if i don't hang this scoundrel i'll turn him inside out the antichrist i'll stuff his heels down his gullet the cutthroat and it ended by his going up to find out what he wanted why he wouldn't halloo to the hounds usually on such occasions bausch asked for some vodka drank it up got on his horse and began to halloo as lustily as ever again you seem to be fond of hunting too luka petrovich 
i should have been certainly not now now my time is over but in my young days but you know it was not an easy matter in my position it's not suitable for people like us to go trailing after noblemen certainly you may find in our class some drinking good-for-nothing fellow who associates with the gentry but it's a queer sort of enjoyment he only brings shame on himself they mount him on a wretched stumbling nag keep knocking his hat off onto the ground and cut at him with a whip pretending to whip the horse and he must laugh at everything and be a laughing stock for the others no i tell you the lower your station the more reserved must be your behaviour or else you disgrace yourself directly yes continued the seneca with a sigh there's many a gallon of water has flowed down to the sea since i have been living in the world times are different now especially i see a great change in the nobility the smaller landowners have all either become officials or at any rate do not stop here as for the larger owners there's no making them out i have had experience of them the large landowners in cases of settling boundaries and i must tell you it does my heart good to see them they are courteous and affable only this is what astonishes me they have studied all the sciences they speak so fluently that your heart is melted but they don't understand the actual business in hand and they don't even perceive what's their own interest some bailiff a bond-servant drives them just where he pleases as though they were in a yoke there is Korolev, alexander vladimirovich for instance you know him perhaps isn't he every inch a nobleman he is handsome rich has studied at the versities and travelled i think abroad he speaks simply and easily and shakes hands with us all you know him well listen then last week we assembled at berezovka at the summons of the mediator nikifor Ilyich. and the mediator nikifor Ilyich says to us gentlemen we must settle the boundaries it's disgraceful our district is behind all the others we must get to work well so we got to work there followed discussions disputes as usual our attorney began to make objections but the first to make an uproar was porfiry avchinnikov and what had the fellow to make an uproar about he hasn't an acre of ground he is acting as representative of his brother he brawls no you shall not impose on me no you shan't drive me to that give the plans here give me the surveyor's plans the judas plans here but what is your claim then oh you think i'm a fool indeed do you suppose i'm going to lay bare my claims to you offhand no let me have the plans here that's what i want and he himself is banging his fist on the plans all the time then he mortally offended marfa dmitrievna she shrieks out how dare you asperse my reputation your reputation says he i shouldn't like my chestnut mare to have your reputation they poured him out some madeira at last and so quieted him then others begin to make a row alexander vladimirovich Karolev, the dear fellow sat in a corner sucking the knob of his cane and only shook his head i felt ashamed i could hardly sit it out what must he be thinking of us i said to myself when behold alexander vladimirovich has got up and shows signs of wanting to speak the mediator exerts himself says gentlemen gentlemen alexander vladimirovich wishes to speak and i must do them this credit they were all silent at once and so alexander vladimirovich began and said that we seemed to have forgotten what we had come together for that indeed the fixing of boundaries 
was indisputably advantageous for owners of land but actually what was its object to make things easier for the peasant so that he could work and pay his dues more conveniently and now the peasant hardly knows his own land and often goes to work five miles away and one can't expect too much of him then alexander vladimir said that it was disgraceful in a landowner not to interest himself in the well-being of his peasants that in the end if you look at it rightly their interest and our interest are inseparable if they are well off we are well off and if they do badly we do badly and that consequently it was injudicious and wrong to disagree over trifles and so on and so on there how he did speak he seemed to go right to your heart all the gentry hung their heads i myself faith it nearly brought me to tears to tell the truth you would not find saying like that in the old books even but what was the end of it he himself would not give up four acres of peat marsh and wasn't willing to sell it he said i am going to drain that marsh for my people and set up a cloth factory on it with all the latest improvements i have already he said fixed on that place i have thought out my plans on the subject and if only that had been the truth it would be all very well but the simple fact is alexander vladimirovich's neighbor anton karasikov had refused to buy over Karolev's bailiffs for a hundred rubles and so we separated without having done anything but alexander vladimirovich considers to this day that he is right and still talks of the cloth factory but he doesn't start draining the marsh and how does he manage in his estate he is always introducing new ways the peasants don't speak well of him but it's useless to listen to them alexander vladimirovich is doing right how is that luka petrovich i thought you kept to the old ways i that's another thing you see i'm not a nobleman or a landowner what sort of management is mine besides i don't know how to do things differently i try to act according to justice and the law and leave the rest in god's hands young gentlemen don't like the old method i think they are right it's the time to take in ideas only this is the pity of it the young are too theoretical they treat the peasant like a doll they turn him this way and that way twist him about and throw him away and their bailiff a serf or some overseer from the german natives gets the peasant under his thumb again now if any of the young gentlemen would set us an example would show us see this is how you ought to manage what will be the end of it can it be that i shall die without seeing the new methods what is the proverb the old is dead but the young is not born i did not know what reply to make to avsenikov he looked round drew himself nearer to me and went on in an undertone have you heard talk of vasily nikolaitch lubozvonov no i haven't explain to me please what sort of strange creature he is i can't make anything of it his peasants have described him but i can't make any sense of their tales he's a young man you know it's not long since he received his heritage from his mother well he arrived at his estate the peasants were all collected to stare at their master vasily nikolaitch came out to them the peasants looked at him strange to relate the master wore plush pantaloons like a coachman and he had on boots with trimmings at the top he wore a red shirt and a coachman's long coat too he had let his beard grow and had such a strange hat and such a strange face could he be drunk no he wasn't drunk and yet he didn't seem quite right good health to you lads he says 
God keep you. The peasants bow to the ground, but without speaking. They began to feel frightened, you know. And he too seemed timid. He began to make a speech to them. I am a Russian, he says, and you are Russians. I like everything Russian. Russia, says he, is my heart, and my blood too is Russian. Then he suddenly gives the order. Come, lads, sing a Russian national song. The peasants' legs shook under them with fright. They were utterly stupefied. One bold spirit did begin to sing, but he sat down at once on the ground and hid himself behind the others. And what is so surprising is this. We have had landowners like that, dare-devil gentlemen, regular rakes, of course. They dressed pretty much like coachmen and danced themselves and played on the guitar and sang and drank with their house serfs and feasted with the peasants. But this Vasily Nikolaitch is like a girl. He is always reading books or writing or else declaiming poetry aloud. He never addresses anyone. He's shy walks by himself in his garden, seems either bored or sad. The old bailiff at first was in a thorough scare. Before Vasily Nikolaitch's arrival, he was afraid to go near the peasants' houses. He bowed to all of them. One could see the cat knew whose butter he had eaten. And the peasants were full of hope. They thought, Fiddlesticks, my friend, now they'll make you answer for it, my dear. They'll lead you to a dance now, you robber. But instead of this, it has turned out, how shall I explain it to you? God Almighty could not account for how things have turned out. Vasily Nikolaitch summoned him to his presence and says, blushing himself and breathing quick, you know, Be upright in my service. Don't oppress anyone, do you hear? And since that day, he has never asked to see him in person again. He lives on his own property like a stranger. Well, the bailiff's been enjoying himself, and the peasants don't dare to go to Vasily Nikolaitch. They are afraid. And do you see what's a matter for wonder again? The master even bows to them and looks graciously at them but he seems to turn their stomachs with fright. What do you say to such a strange state of things, Your Honor? Either I have grown stupid in my old age or something. I can't understand it. I said to Avsanikov that Mr. Lubozvonov must certainly be ill. Ill, indeed. He is as broad as he is long. And a face like this, God bless him, and bearded, though he is so young, well, God knows. And Avsenikov gave a deep sigh. Come, uh, putting the nobles aside, I began. What have you to tell me about the peasant proprietors, Luka Petrovich? No, you must let me off that, he said hurriedly. Truly, I could tell you, but what's the use? With a wave of his hand, we had better have some tea. We are common peasants and nothing more. But when we come to think of it, what else could we be? He ceased talking. Tea was served. Tatiana Linishna rose from her place and sat down rather nearer to us. In the course of the evening, she several times went noiselessly out and as quietly returned. Silence reigned in the room. Avsanikov drank cup after cup with gravity and deliberation. Mitya has been to see us today said Tatiana Ilinishna in a low voice. Avsenikov frowned. What does he want? He came to ask forgiveness. Avsenikov shook his head. Come, tell me, he went on turning to me, what is one to do with relations? And to abandon them altogether is impossible. Here God has bestowed on me a nephew. He is a fellow with brains, a smart fellow, I don't dispute that. He has had a good education, but I don't expect much good to come of him. He went to intergovernment office, threw up his position, 
didn't get on fast enough if you please does he suppose he is a noble and even noblemen don't come to be generals all at once so now he is living without an occupation and that even would not be such a great matter except that he is taken to litigation he gets up petitions for the peasants writes memorials he instructs the village delegates drags the surveyors over the coals frequents drinking-houses is seen in taverns with city tradesmen and innkeepers he is bound to come to ruin before long the constables and police captains have threatened him more than once already but he luckily knows how to turn it off he makes them laugh but they will boil his kettle for him some day but there isn't he sitting in your little room he added turning to his wife i know you you see you're so soft-hearted you will always take his part tatiana Linishna dropped her eyes smiled and blushed well i see it is so continued Avsenikov. fie you spoil the boy well tell him to come in so be it then for the sake of our good guest i will forgive the silly fellow come tell him tell him tatiana Linishna went to the door and cried mitya mitya a young man of twenty-eight tall well-made and curly-headed came into the room and seeing me stopped short in the doorway his costume was in the german style but the unnatural size of the puffs on his shoulders was enough alone to prove convincingly that the tailor who had cut it was a russian of the russians well come in come in began the old man why are you bashful you must thank your aunt you're forgiven here your honor i commend him to you he continued pointing to mitya he is my own nephew but i don't get on with him at all the end of the world is coming we bowed to one another well tell me what is this you have got mixed up in what is the complaint they are making against you explain it to us mitya obviously did not care to explain matters and justify himself before me later on uncle he muttered no not later now pursued the old man you are ashamed i see before this gentleman all the better it's only what you deserve speak speak we are listening i have nothing to be ashamed of began mitya spiritedly with a toss of his head be so good as to judge for yourself uncle some peasant proprietors of Rishitilova came to me and said defend us brother what is the matter this is it our grain stores were in perfect order in fact they could not be better all at once a government inspector came to us with orders to inspect the granaries he inspected them and said your granaries are in disorder serious neglect it's my duty to report it to the authorities but what does the neglect consist in that's my business he says we met together and decided to tip the official in the usual way but old prokhoritch prevented us he said no that's only giving him a taste for more come after all haven't we the courts of justice we obeyed the old man and the official got in a rage and made a complaint and wrote a report so now we are called up to answer to his charges but are your granaries actually in order i asked god knows they are in order and the legal quantity of corn is in them well then say i you have nothing to fear and i drew up a document for them and it is not yet known in whose favor it is decided and as to the complaints they have made to you about me over that affair it's very easy to understand that every man's shirt is nearest to his own skin everyone's indeed but not yours seemingly said the old man in an undertone but what plots have you been hatching with the shotolomovsky peasants how do you know anything of it never mind i do know of it and here too i am right 
judge for yourself again a neighboring landowner bespandin has plowed over four acres of the shutolomovsky peasants land the land's mine he says the shutolomovsky people are on the rent system their landowner has gone abroad who is to stand up for them tell me yourself but the land is theirs beyond dispute they've been bound to it for ages and ages so they came to me and said write us a petition so i wrote one and bespandin heard of it and began to threaten me i'll break every bone in that meteor's body and knock his head off his shoulders we shall see how he will knock it off it's still on so far come don't boast it's in a bad way your head said the old man you are a mad fellow altogether why uncle what did you tell me yourself i know i know what you will say avsenikov interrupted him of course a man ought to live uprightly and he is bound to succor his neighbor sometimes one must not spare oneself but do you always behave in that way don't they take you to the tavern eh don't they treat you bow to you eh dmitri alexeyevich they say help us and we will prove our gratitude to you and they slip a silver rouble or note into your hand eh doesn't that happen tell me doesn't that happen i am certainly to blame in that answered mitya rather confused but i take nothing from the poor and i don't act against my conscience you don't take from them now but when you are badly off yourself then you will you don't act against your conscience fie on you of course they are all saints whom you defend have you forgotten borka pirahodov who was it looked after him who took him under his protection eh pirahodov suffered through his own fault certainly he appropriated the public monies that was all but consider uncle his poverty his family poverty poverty he's a drunkard a quarrelsome fellow that's what it is he took to drink through trouble said mita dropping his voice through trouble indeed well you might have helped him if your heart was so warm to him but there was no need for you to sit in taverns with the drunken fellow yourself though he did speak so finely a prodigy to be sure he was a very good fellow everyone is good with you but did you send him pursued Avsenikov, turning to his wife. Come, you know. Tatiana Lenishna nodded. Where have you been lately? The old man began again. I have been in the town. You have been doing nothing but playing billiards, I wager, and drinking tea and running to and fro about the government offices, drawing up petitions in little black rooms, flaunting about with merchants' sons, that's it of course tell us perhaps that is about it said mitya with a smile ah i had almost forgotten funtikov anton parfenich asks you to dine with him next sunday i shan't go to see that old tub he gives you costly fish and puts rancid butter on it god bless him and i met fedosia mikhailovna what Fedosia is that? She belongs to Garpenchenko, the landowner who bought Mikulina by auction. Fedosia is from Mikulina. She lived in Moscow as a dressmaker, paying her service in money, and she paid her service money accurately, a hundred and eighty-two roubles and a half a year, and she knows her business. She got good orders in Moscow. But now Garpenchenko has written for her back, and he retains her here but does not provide any duties for her she would be prepared to buy her freedom and has spoken to the master but he will not give any decisive answer you uncle are acquainted with garpenchenka so couldn't you just say a word to him and fedosia would give a good price for her freedom not with your money i hope eh well well all right i will speak to him 
i will speak to him but i don't know continued the old man with a troubled face this garpenchenga god forgive him is a shark he buys up debts lends money at interest purchases estates at auctions and who brought him into our parts uh, i can't bear these newcomers one won't get an answer out of him very quickly however we shall see try to manage it uncle very well i will see to it only you take care take care of yourself there there don't defend yourself god bless you god bless you only take care of for the future or else meet upon my word it will go ill with you upon my word you will come to grief i can't always screen you and i myself am not a man of influence there go now and god be with you mitya went away tatyana ilinishna went out after him give him some tea you soft-hearted creature cried afsanikov after her he is not a stupid fellow he continued and he is a good heart but i feel afraid for him but pardon me for having so long kept you occupied with such details the door from the hall opened a short grizzled little man came in in a velvet coat ah franz ivanitch cried afsanikov good day to you is god merciful to you allow me gentle reader to introduce to you this gentleman franz ivanitch lejeune my neighbor and the landowner of Ariol had arrived at the respectable position of a russian nobleman in a not quite ordinary way he was born in orleans of french parents and had gone with napoleon on the invasion of russia in the capacity of a drummer at first all went smoothly and our frenchman arrived in moscow with his head held high but on the return journey poor monsieur lejeune half frozen without his drum fell into the hands of some peasants of smolensk the peasants shut him up for the night in an empty cloth factory and the next morning brought him to an ice hole near the dike and began to beg the drummer de la grande armée to oblige them in other words to swim under the ice monsieur lejeune could not agree to their proposition and in his turn began to try to persuade the smolensk peasants in the dialect of france to let him go to orleans there messieurs he said my mother is living but the peasants doubtless through their ignorance of the geographical position of orleans continued to offer him a journey under water along the course of the meandering river gnilaterka and had already begun to encourage him with slight blows on the vertebrae of the neck and back when suddenly to the indescribable delight of lejeune the sound of bells was heard and there came along the dike a huge sledge with a striped rug over its excessively high dicky harnessed with three roan horses in the sledge sat a stout and red-faced landowner in a wolfskin pelisse what is it you're doing there he asked the peasants we are drowning a frenchman your honor ah replied the landowner indifferently and he turned away monsieur monsieur shrieked the poor fellow huh huh observed the wolfskin pelisse reproachfully you came with twenty nations into russia burnt moscow tore down you damned hidden the cross from ivan the great and now musu musu indeed now you turn tail you are paying the penalty of your sins go on filka the horses were starting stop though added the landowner uh, you musu do you know anything of music sauvez moi sauvez moi mon bon monsieur repeated lejeune there see what a wretched people they are not one of them knows russian 
Musique, musique. Savez musique vous? Savez? Well, speak, do. Comprenez? Savez musique vous? On the piano, savez jouer? Le jeune comprehended at last what the landowner meant and persistently nodded his head. Oui, monsieur, oui, oui. Je suis musicien. J'ai joué tous les instruments possibles. Oui, monsieur. Sauvez-moi, monsieur. Well, thank your lucky star, replied the landowner. Lads, let him go. Here's a twenty kopeck piece for vodka. Thank you, your honor, thank you. Take him, your honor. They sat Lejeune in the sledge. He was gasping with delight, weeping, shivering, bowing, thanking the landowner, the coachman, the peasants. He had nothing on but a green jacket with pink ribbons, and it was freezing very hard. The landowner looked at his blue and benumbed shoulders in silence, wrapped the unlucky fellow in his own pelisse, and took him home. The household ran out. They soon thought the Frenchman fed him and clothed him. The landowner conducted him to his daughters. Here, children, he said to them, a teacher is found for you. You were always entreating me to have you taught music and the French jargon. There's you have a Frenchman, and he plays on the piano. Come, monsieur, he went on pointing to a wretched little instrument he had bought five years before of a Jew whose special line was eau de cologne. Give us an example of your art. Jouer. Lejeune, with a sinking heart, sat down on the music stool. He had never touched a piano in his life. Jouer, jouer, repeated the landowner. In desperation, the unhappy man beat on the keys as though on a drum and played at hazard. I quite expected, he used to tell afterwards, that my deliverer would seize me by the collar and throw me out of the house. But to the utmost amazement of the unwilling improviser, the landowner, after waiting a little, patted him good-humouredly on the shoulder. Good, good, he said. I see your attainments. Go now and rest yourself. Within a fortnight, Lejeune had gone from this landowner's to stay with another, a rich and cultivated man. He gained his friendship by his bright and gentle disposition, was married to a ward of his, went into a government office, rose to the nobility, married his daughter to Lobozanyev, a landowner of Arol, and a retired dragoon and poet, and settled himself on an estate in Arol. It was this same Lejeune, or rather, as he is called now, Franz Ivanitch, who, when I was there, came in to see Avsenikov, with whom he was on friendly terms. But perhaps the reader is already weary of sitting with me at the Avsenikovs, and so I will become eloquently silent. End of the Peasant Proprietor Avsenikov